You're listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and while you're turning there, I always like to give my testimony the first time I'm at some place. I always thought it was a good idea that people knew that the preacher was saved, amen, that goes a long way to get us started. But uh, I was brought up in Sturgis, Michigan, so although I don't sound like a Yankee, I was a Yankee. I've been in the South for a long time now, and I still don't eat grits. But other than that, I'm, I'm doing fine. But I was brought up in a home of drinking and cursing, and about the only time I heard the name Jesus growing up was as a curse word. Uh, We never did go to church, have anything to do with God whatsoever. I was a radio disc jockey near the end of my high school days. My wife and I met during that time. And about a year after high school, we got married. Now, she had the same type of upbringing that I had, so we had nothing to do with God. We never went to church. And uh, when I was uh, up in Kalamazoo, Michigan as a rock and roll disc jockey going to Western Michigan University, uh, we ended up going to a country western station because I wanted to stay in school. The station we were at was closing down or changing ownership. And I had another announcer at the radio station ask me if I'd like to play softball with the church team. Now, I'm a sports nut, man. If you can throw it, kick it, hit it, or whatever, I like doing it. Uh, My dad was a hunter and fisherman. I was a ball player. I just, I love sports. And uh, as a result, when he asked me to play, I said, sure, I'll be glad to play. And then he said, well, there is one catch. You have to go to church once a week in order to play. I said, I don't know about that. Let me go home and talk to my wife, and I'll let you know. So I talked to my wife, and we figured it couldn't hurt us to go once a week. And so we'd slip into Sunday school and then slip out, or we'd go to the morning service and then slip out if we had wanted to sleep in that day. And uh, so I fulfilled my obligation. But going there was the first time in my life, it was First Baptist Church in Otsego, Michigan. It was the first time in my life that I ever heard I was a sinner. I used to think that one day I'd stand before God and he'd put all my good works on one side of a big scale, all my bad works on the other side, and surely the good would outweigh the bad and God would let me into heaven. Even though I didn't know anything about God or much about God, I did believe there was one. As a matter of fact, every night I would pray before I'd go to sleep. I would pray the prayer that I saw on television. Now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. They never went beyond that. So I didn't know, I'd just say amen after I prayed that. And I'd pray it silently because I would have been embarrassed had my wife heard me. But as I was going to that church, I found out I wasn't a good guy after all, that I was a sinner, that all my righteousnesses were as filthy rags. I mean, even as a lost person, I didn't smoke or drink. Now, I had a foul mouth, and I had some other things that were wrong with me, of course, as well. But uh, when I found out I was a sinner, then I found out I wasn't going to heaven, but I was going to die and go to hell. It was also at 22 years of age, actually 21 when I first heard it, uh, just a few months after that is when I got saved. It was the first time in my life I found out who Jesus Christ was. Now, we had enough Catholics that lived around us that I would have identified the person on the cross as Jesus Christ. But I had no idea that he was the son of God. 
I didn't know that he came to earth to die on the cross to pay for my sins. I did not know what Easter was about. I didn't know he rose from the dead three days later. That was all brand new to me, that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. One Saturday, I was working at the radio station. I'd played my four and a half hours of country music, and a preacher had a half-hour broadcast from 4.30 to 5 o'clock. I was playing that on the old Wallensack tape player that we had in the control room, and I sat there listening to it. He got to the end of the broadcast, and he said, if you'd like to trust Christ as your Savior, you can do it right now, right where you're at. So there at the radio station, I bowed my head and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. Now, you have to understand, I was ignorant of the Bible. I mean, I, I called Psalms Palms and Job Job, and I can remember the pastor one day saying, turn to 1 John chapter 5. Well, the first John of my Bible was the Gospel of John. That's where I turned, and where he was reading wasn't what I was reading. So I was just ignorant, didn't know what to do next. But God never leaves his children without some instruction. That week, the pastor came out to the pastor of the church we'd been attending, I came out to the mobile home where we lived, and he came with the express purpose of winning me to Christ. He went through the plan of salvation, and when he got all done, I said, well, pastor, I did that. Now, I don't think he believed me. He gave me that look, you know. He said, well, tell me about it. And so I told him about being at the radio station and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. And I said, but I don't understand. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. He said, what you need to do now is you need to let people know that you've gotten saved. He said, so this Sunday, you come forward during the invitation, and uh, we'll let the people know that you've trusted Christ as Savior. I said, okay. So that next Sunday, during the invitation, I went forward. He uh, stood down there, down here at the front, and I took him by the hand. He said, and what are you coming forward for? And I thought, man, he's got a short memory. We had, uh, we had already talked about this. I said, well, I'm coming to let people know I got saved. And then the next words out of my mouth were these. Now we need to pray for my wife that she'll get saved. After all, she was the hard case in the family. And so that next Thursday night, he came out to our mobile home again. And uh, there in our living room, he led my wife to Christ. And we just began growing in the Lord. Two and a half years later, the last Sunday in January 1974, my pastor was on vacation. And I'd been praying about uh, thinking God may be calling me to preach. And as I went to church that day, the speaker was a missionary to Brazil by the name of Charles Hawking. And while he was preaching that day, he made this statement. Now, he didn't know me at all. And he made this statement. He said, if you think God may be calling you to preach, he is. Now, I don't think that statement's always true. But as soon as he said it, the Holy Spirit jolted my heart. I'm talking to you. And so when the invitation was given, I went forward. And he said, what are you coming forward for? And I said, I believe God's calling me to preach. I'm surrendering to do God's will. And then he did something that at least back then, as far as I knew, the Yankees I ran around with didn't do. He grabbed me and hugged me in front of everybody right there at First Baptist Church in Otsego, Michigan. And then he sat me down in the front pew and told everybody. So I was kind of stuck. We went off to Tennessee Temple University and there God had so many things for me. It's been an exciting trip to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I've had the privilege now of preaching since 1975. 
That's when I got ordained. Actually, I was preaching a little bit before that. So 48 years in the gospel ministry, and what a joy to be able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a great joy to be in this place where so many people get born again. I love places where people get saved, and we love missionaries, and I'm excited about these couple days that we get with you. Now, you found 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I trust. I want you to notice beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For these next few moments, I want to preach a message I've entitled, If I'd Only Known. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I plead for the power of the Holy Ghost of God that as I preach, your word would go forth in power to hearts. Lord, if there are any here lost today, please may they turn to Jesus and be saved. I pray for believers I pray, Heavenly Father, for the call you may have on some young man, some young woman's life, or even older, that, God, you're calling to full-time service, maybe to missions. God, do a work on hearts today, and we'll thank you for all that you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I remember reading that a while back, and I came to that last verse, verse 8, where it says, if the princes of this world had known... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory, and it just kind of arrested my attention. And I thought, well, had they known, had they known what? So I looked back, because it doesn't tell us in verse 8. I went back to verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. So had they known the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, they had the wisdom of man. But the wisdom of man is so ignorant of the wisdom of God. You see, the wisdom of man saw that he was born in a stable, but could not see that he was the king of the palaces of heaven. The wisdom of man saw that he was so poor he had no place to lay his head, but couldn't see that he owned the cattle on a thousand hills. The wisdom of man saw no armies on earth to follow him, but couldn't see the 12 legions of angels that were looking over the parapet of heaven to every move that he made. The wisdom of man saw him take the robe of a servant and wipe the feet of the disciples and couldn't see that his slightest wish was the greatest command of the angels. The wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. You see, the wisdom of man sees only the shame and the disgrace of the cross. But the wisdom of God sees beyond that to the glorified Lord sitting at the right hand of the Father. The wisdom of God sees beyond the cross to the pearly white city and the spotless bride on display. The wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man sees him nailed to the cross defeated. And the wisdom of God sees him dying 
for you to have life. The wisdom of man sees his blood flowing to end his life, but the wisdom of God sees his blood flowing to give us life. The wisdom of man sees his body slumped in death, but the wisdom of God sees our sin debt fully paid. The wisdom of man sees him buried, but the wisdom of God sees him rising from the grave three days later. What a difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. You see, the Jews wanted the Christ to come to set them free, to deliver them from the bondage of Rome. They didn't understand that first they needed the Son of God to come to pay their sin debt on the cross of Calvary. Without that payment, there'd be no hope of heaven. And see, had there been no cross, there could be no grace. Had there been no shame, there could be no glory. Had there been no agony, there could be no joy. Had there been no death, there could be no life. Had there been no wounds, there could be no healings. And had there been no jeerings, there could be no hallelujahs. And the Bible says, had they only known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, that brings another question then. Why didn't they know? I mean, after all, they had the word of God. Surely the wise men knew of his birth. When you think about it, since the Jews had been taken off into exile to Babylon many years before, they no doubt had at least the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. We know they had the book of Daniel, for he was counted as one of the wise men. They had read in the book of Numbers about his star that would appear at the birth of the Messiah. Not only that, they had Daniel chapter 9, and they could count out Daniel 69 weeks for the birth. So they came looking for where he would be born. They knew that this was the Christ, the Son of God. When the baby Jesus was taken to the temple, Anna and Simeon knew that this was the Messiah. This is the Savior. And even later, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming to him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Yes, but even some of the disciples were ignorant of what was going on. On the day of the resurrection, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you'll remember, here they were downcast. They said in verse 21, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. They had heard some of them talking about his resurrection, that the tomb was empty, and yet they hadn't believed it. So Jesus said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Had they only known. The truth is they didn't know because they refused to know. They didn't know because they rejected the wisdom of God as found in the word of God. And they said yes to the wisdom of man. But you know, really, before we judge those people too harshly, the reality is multitudes of people do exactly the same thing today. And we have the completed scripture. We have the whole story. And I got to thinking about different ones who cry out, if I'd only known. I thought about the multitudes in hell. I wonder how many in hell cry out, oh, if I'd only known that hell would be like this, I would have gotten saved. But why didn't they know? They had the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Do you realize nobody in the Bible spoke as much about hell as did Jesus Christ? Nobody in the Bible spoke as graphically about hell as did Jesus Christ. 
It's Jesus who said, and the rich man died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Oh, why didn't they know? Oh, I've heard people say it. They've said, don't you know hell is on this earth? Well, you talk about a ridiculous saying. They don't have a clue. At least here, you can get a drop of water to cool your tongue. At least here, when you're in great pain, they can give you drugs to knock you out and at least give you a little bit of relief. But in hell, there is absolutely no relief. Jesus said, then shall they say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Some of you who are a little bit older will remember when Evil Knievel was going to jump the Snake River Canyon in his rocket-propelled motorcycle. And it was a big show. All the news media were out there to see it. And one of the reporters asked him, well, what if you don't make it? And he said, well, I guess I'll just be in hell drinking a beer waiting for my buddies. He was only partly right. He was right about the hell part, but there'd be no beer. And there'd be no with his buddies, but screaming in agony. Oh, I wonder how many in hell today cry out, if I'd only known that hell would be like this, I'd have gotten saved. No doubt a number cry out, oh, if I'd only known that salvation was just in trusting Jesus, I would have gotten saved. But why didn't they know? The Bible's plain about that. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Even Peter, preaching in Acts 4.12, declared, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus said in John 3, 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Yes, it is in trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. It is believing upon him, for he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The Bible's plain. No wonder Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the same for everybody. You see, the reality is this. The wisdom of man says do to get to heaven, but the wisdom of God says, no, it's done. He paid the full price. There's nothing you can pay. You receive the wonderful gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I wonder how many in hell may cry out, well, if I'd only known, preacher, that I didn't have another day, I would have gotten saved. Now, some people may be thinking, they got you there. Nobody knows when they're going to die. But the wisdom of God warned us about that. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In Proverbs 29 and verse 1, it declares, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. No wonder the 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. 
If you want to be sure to escape hell, then you need to get saved now. Say yes to the wisdom of God. God wants you saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is his desire. You come to Jesus and thank God you never have to worry about hell again. You belong to him. Heaven will be your eternal destiny. And hey, isn't that what this week is about? Sending more missionaries to get the word out to people who've never heard around the world. Yeah, multitudes in hell no doubt cry out if I'd only known, but they're not the only ones. I believe that there are multitudes of Christians who have contemplated sin and never realized its terrible effects. But we've got the wisdom of God on that matter. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, that verse works two ways. You sow wrong, you reap wrong. You sow right, you reap right. How many Christian testimonies have been lost and ministries have been lost because people contemplated sin. Think about David. At a time when kings went forth to battle, David stayed in the palace. Now, the palace wasn't a sinful place to be, but it wasn't where he was supposed to be. It was a time when kings went forth to battle. He was king. He belonged at the battle. But he stayed in the palace, and there an opportunity for temptation as he looked out over the city and saw Bathsheba and lusted. He never gave a thought at that time to the things that would take place from his own sin. Not only would it cause the enemies of God to blaspheme God, this God that he had written about, his love for that God. He's the one who wrote Psalm 23. He's the one who said in Psalm 27 and verse 1, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire this temple. I believe he meant it when he wrote it. But you see, he was someplace where he shouldn't have been. Wrong place, wrong time. And when he saw, he lusted. Every time I read that story, I think, David, call your servants. Tell them to hitch up the chariot. Get your armor on. Get out to the battle. Escape this. But he doesn't do it. He commits his immorality and then murder and the price, the death of that baby. And then later he reaps by the rape of his own daughter by one of his sons. And then the murder of that son by another one of his sons. And David continued to reap. And then the rebellion of Absalom to run him off the throne. And later, as Absalom was hanging from a tree by his head, Joab came and threw the darts through his heart to kill him. David gets the word. His forces had been victorious, but his son is dead. And we see David sitting at the gate. He's got his head in his hands and he's crying, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, would to God I died for thee. And every time I read it, I think, David, you didn't have to die for that boy. All you had to do was keep Bathsheba out of your bedroom and he'd still be alive. Oh, the Christians that have gotten late at night onto the internet, gone to, gone to sites they never should have gone to. And the ultimate result of that, because God knows everything that's going on. He sees all things and be sure your sin will find you out. And how many have lost their ministries? How many have lost their families? 
because they weren't where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there and they get into sin and reaping comes. That brings heartbreak. Dr. R.G. Lee, I thank God that I had the privilege of meeting him before he died. He had one message that he preached that was so famous called Payday Someday. He preached it over 1,200 times. I think when I heard him preach it, it was like the 1,200th and 10th time that he preached that message. It was somewhere around in that as far as numbers go. But this was a man who could paint pictures with words like nobody I've ever heard. He pastored the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And to watch Dr. Lee, he would stand. He lived, I think, about 91. But he would stand very straight and tall, very distinguished. Of course, white hair, thinning, falling out. Few preachers have that problem. And uh, I don't know many of them, but I, I know some. He was preaching for a friend of mine one time. And right in the middle of his message, he just suddenly stopped and he said, I hate liquor. Now, that's alcohol for those of you who don't understand the language. I'm trying to use my best southern accent with this. I hate liquor. Liquor. And then he said, if I thought I had one hair on my head that wanted a drink of liquor, even as much as I need hair, I'd pluck it out and I'd stomp it. I hate liquor. Well, after the message was over, the preacher went up to him and said, Dr. Lee, what on earth got you started on liquor? He said, while I was preaching, there's a man sitting down there in about the third row licking his lips like he might want to drink a liquor. And I wanted him to know whose side I was on. <laughs> he was a total abstainer. And of course, he believed that. And I do too, by the way. But he had a church member there that would just kind of give him a hard time about it and say, now, Dr. Lee, I mean, if you just, you know, just we, we, we have a bottle of liquor we keep up in the cupboard and we do it just for special occasions, that's all. I don't see anything wrong with that, Dr. Lee said, well, it's wrong. He, he, and the man said, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Uh, we just do that for special occasions, that's it. The time came when their little girl was graduating from high school and uh, he went to the graduation, this man did, and he and his wife, and my, it was special. His little girl came up to him when it was all over and said, Dad, you wouldn't mind if me and some of my girlfriends just went out and spent some time together. We're all going off to different colleges. We're not going to be seeing one another. Could we just enjoy some time together? And he said, that'd be fine. Come back in around 11 o'clock, and, and that'll be okay. Well, about 2 o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on his door. He went downstairs, went to the door, opened it up, and there was a Tennessee state trooper. He said, sir, are you Mr. So-and-so? And he said, yes, that's, that's me. He said, do you have a daughter by the name of... He said, yes, yes, I do. He said, well, sir, he said, I hate to tell you this, but there was a car accident tonight, and your daughter and two other young ladies were killed in that car accident. And he said, I hate to tell you this, but they had been drinking. That's what caused the accident. Well, of course, obviously, you can only imagine he was shattered. His wife was shattered. 
And they wept and cried and hugged one another. And he, he got to thinking about it. And he started getting angry. He said, who, who, who would have given alcohol to these girls? Who would have done that? If I could get a hold of them, I'd kill them. Well, the state trooper stood around for a while and tried to calm the man down. Eventually he did. When the state trooper finally left, the man told his wife, said, Hun, go on up to bed. He said, I'll be there in a bit. I've got to calm down. And he went into the kitchen and he opened up the cupboard door and he reached up just to get a little bit of that drink, you know, to soothe the hurt that he had. And when he reached up in the cupboard, instead of pulling down a bottle, though, he pulled down a note. It said, Dear Dad, this is a very special night in our life. I know you'd understand. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's the wisdom of God. But I said there were three groups of people. Not only those in hell cry out, if I'd only known. Not only Christians who contemplate sin and do not realize its awful effects and its outcome. But I believe at the judgment seat of Christ, there'll be multitudes who cry out. Once they see Jesus, I believe they'll cry out, Oh, if I'd only known! I would have lived my life more for Christ. I would have been more dedicated. I'd have told more souls about the Savior if I'd only known. The Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone receive for the things done in his body, whether they be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall uh, refine every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss though he himself shall be saved. Yet so is by fire. I want you to notice the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. The wisdom, of God, or the wisdom of man says, take care of yourself. The wisdom of God says, deny yourself. The wisdom of man says, feed your family first. The wisdom of God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. The wisdom of man says, don't be a fanatic. The wisdom of God says, I'd rather that you were hot or cold. And because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. The wisdom of man says, don't turn people off by witnessing to them. Wisdom of God says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You realize you cannot present the gospel to the wrong person. Every creature is our command. Somebody says, but I'm afraid I'll run them off. Where are you going to run them to? Hell two, hell three, hell four. They're already going to hell. They need the gospel. They may not know it yet, but when they, when they come to Jesus, they'll be glad you told them. Wisdom of man says, what's missing one service? The wisdom of God says, moreover is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. The wisdom of man says, you've got to have some fun. The wisdom of God says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The wisdom of God says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
You say, well, why will people be saying in heaven if I'd only known? Oh, when they find out the souls they could have won to Christ, if they'd have just witnessed to them, if they'd just given them a track, the souls that could have been saved. But how are they going to call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? When they find out the souls that could have been saved, if the missionary could have gotten to the mission field earlier to present the gospel, but had to continue to travel around the country raising support because people are more interested in buying 65-inch color television sets than they are given to missions. The wisdom of man, the wisdom of God. Let me show you what I think is the best example for us here. We have two men about to die. Turn over to Ecclesiastes for just a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. This man is in a palace. He's living fine. He's been busy all of his life, and he tells us about it. Beginning in verse 3, this is Solomon. He says, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Now look at this. Here's how he spent his life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born to my house. Also, I had great possessions. He says in verse 9, so I was great. And increase more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Verse 10, whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Now keep your hand here and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to show you another man. It comes time for him to die. He's sitting in a jail cell. He wasn't sitting there when he wrote these words. But it gives us a rundown of how he spent his life. His name, we know him as the Apostle Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and they, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings, often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Wow, these two men spent their life totally different. But the man who's back in the palace, sitting on that marble throne, he's not done talking. It would seem like the only two things that these men have in common is they both knew God and they're both about to die. So back here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says in verse 11, this is the man sitting in that palace surveying all these great things that he has done. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity. 
and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He says, I look at it all and it mocks me. I'm getting ready to meet God and I've wasted my life. What about that other man? That other man, now he sits in a jail cell. It won't be long. His head will get chopped off for Jesus. And he says, I'm not ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. You want to know our problem? We want to live like Solomon and die like Paul, and it doesn't work like that. And how many will cry, oh, if I'd only known. I have thrown my life away on just getting more toys instead of making it count for Jesus. Thank God for these missionaries. Willing to leave family, willing to leave friends, to go out to a people, in some cases people, they have no clue where they're at, but they need Jesus. And they're willing to give their lives for that. Why? Because they've accepted the wisdom of God over the wisdom of man. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.